0: for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose and make a difference. Thanks. We're going to finish our intentional conversation series. And as you know, the or if you don't know, the intentional conversation series is intended to show that prayer is oftentimes mystified in today's society. We feel like it's got to be said the right way, done the right way, in the right posture, using the right words, when in fact prayer is just an intentional conversation between us and the Lord through Christ Jesus. Amen? And so what I've done is I've gone through the Gospels, And I've picked out some instances within the Gospels where Jesus is having conversations, intentional conversations with people to show how prayer should look and what prayer can look like. Uh, Because I'm firmly convinced Jesus being completely God and completely human, when they were talking to Jesus, they were talking to God. Therefore, by definition, they were praying to God. Amen? So... With that in mind, we're going to finish that series. We started um, with the framework of prayer through the Lord's Prayer. I divided that into two lessons. One that was started with um, glorifying God, the necessity of glorifying God, why we glorify God, because He is the reason through Christ Jesus that we have a relationship with Him in the first place. That was provoked by Him. That it's our. Heart's desire should be to do the will of God so that others on earth might know, so that the kingdom of heaven might exist here on earth in the spaces that we're in. And then we moved to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which is the petition. What we need from God and how to elaborate on those needs based on our personal circumstances. Last week, as most would suspect, we talked about the prayer of thankfulness. From the Luke 17, the 10 virgins, 10 virgins, the 10 lepers, 10 lepers were healed. They all left. One leper returned to give thanks. And in thankfulness, that leper moved from healing to wholeness. It's not that those other nine weren't also healed. They were healed but the one that returned was made whole, which is the same word used for salvation. That is wholeness in spirit, mind, and body. And so when we're thankful, that doesn't save us, but it proves that God has done a work in us. Amen? So we talked about all that. This week I want to talk about something different. I want to talk about what I think is the most Important prayer we could pray, and that's the prayer of repentance. Uh, And I've titled this sermon, if you want to write it down, if you're a note taker, Restoring Hearts, because God desires to restore hearts. Uh, Before I do that, let me give you a little illustration. My wife and I really enjoy watching fixer-up shows. Y'all ever watch any fixer-up shows on TV where they take an old house and fix it up? There's two particular we like, Chip and Joanna Gaines, although we like them less than Ben and Aaron Napier, who are our favorite. I like we like Ben and Aaron because Ben is the big muscly guy that does what he's told to do, and his wife's the wild, the person with the vision who tells him what to do. And quite honestly, that's the same in most all of our houses. Amen. And so we see that play out in our own life. I mean, not so much in my house, because I I run my house, but because most of y'all kind of work. I'm going to move on. You get the idea. Uh, But what they do is incredible. They take old, dilapidated houses that aren't worth anything and restore them to their old glory, to their own beauty. In fact, they often restore them to a greater beauty than they had when they were originally constructed. They take these old houses that should, in some cases, be torn down, that deserve destruction, and they build them into a beautiful condition. So much so that when they give it back to the homeowner, the homeowner's often amazed. You'll see in a lot of times when the great reveal happens, the the homeowner starts crying and weeping because they had moved so far beyond their own vision or expectation that they don't know what to do with the space they're now in. And I think that's beautiful. Here's what I th- here's why I think that's beautiful. Because like these couples, God's in a restoration business too. We needed to be restored. That is, we need to be brought back to our former condition. Ours was a derelict condition. Worthy of destruction. But God looked at us, much like they look at one of these houses and say, this can be saved. I want to save it. I want to build it. I want to make it everything it could be. Not just restore it to its original glory, but perhaps a greater glory. And then to glory, to glory, and then to glory. This is the God that we serve. But none of us deserved it. All of us have sinned, according to Romans 3.23. According to Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as though one man, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. One man started sin, which created death. Sin continued, bringing death to all of us because all of us sinned. But God. Our condition was repugnant. And I know at this point I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, but the Bible tells us this: that we were dead in our transgressions, Ephesians two one; that we were destroyed for lack of knowledge in Hosea four six; that we glorified in what should shame us, in Philippians three nineteen; and are unable to inherit the kingdom of God without Christ Jesus, according to First Corinthians six ten. We deserve destruction. Well, Pastor Jim, normally your introductions aren't near as heavy as this, but let me tell you, they need to be heavy because I told you my intent is to tell you about restoration, specifically repentance, and you won't know you need to repent if you don't know the condition you're in. And so I have to be very pointed because you need to know how glorious salvation is, and you can't know how glorious salvation is until you realize how corrupt and destroyed You are prior to Jesus. Amen. And so we start. Our condition was utterly despicable, but God didn't intend to keep us that way. Instead, he decided to give us Jesus. I'm going to teach today out of Luke 19, 1 through 10. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to tell you a story that most of us are familiar with. Uh, matter of fact, when we were kids, we sang songs about this particular fellow, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Verse one says, "And he entered Jericho, and was passing through." He mean him being Jesus. This is his last trip to Jerusalem. Remember, we said that in chapter seventeen. That was the case also. So. It's, He's still making that journey, moving from city to city to get there. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and he was rich. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to teach out of this verse; these two verses necessarily. I'm just going to tell you two things out of them. He entered Jericho. There is no difference in Jericho in this city. So it doesn't matter where, Jesus will meet you anywhere. And it says that he's a chief tax collector. Which means that Jesus will meet anyone, anywhere. Anywhere is the Jericho, anyone is the tax collector. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you committed. It doesn't matter the vile life that you live. It didn't matter that you were doomed for destruction, that God had set you aside for wrath, that you were already judged before Christ Jesus, with a single prayer of repentance, all of that goes away. No matter where you are or who you are, all of that goes away. The Bible says that God forgets those things. As far as from the east to the west, he places it behind him that he throws it into the sea. Yeah. He has forgotten your sin. Yeah. Let me encourage you, stop asking God to forgive a sin you've already asked God to forgive. Yeah. Because he's, ta- he's, he's going to be asking you, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I don't know about y'all, but when I was a kid, I didn't go to my papa after I got a paddling for something and say, hey, I'm sorry for doing that. Because it might make him mad again. <laughs> and then I get a paddling again. You just avoid it because it's gone. It's been dealt with. And it's been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. So it doesn't matter where you are or who you are. Jesus is there and wants to meet you there. Let me talk about the rest of these verses. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must. Everybody say must. That's important. Stay at your house. And and he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I'm not teaching on this particular verse either, but listen to me. Who are they mad at? They're mad at Jesus. Why are they mad at Jesus? Jesus didn't do anything but walk through town. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He's the one that should be garnering their ire, their frustration, their anger. Why do I tell you that? Because when you accept Jesus, when you listen to the voice of Jesus in a crowd of people who aren't hearing the voice of Jesus, they're going to condemn you. They're going to try to press you out. They're going to be mad at you. But it doesn't matter if they're mad at you because you are with Jesus. And so focus on who you're with, not who you're around. In verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions Oh, I'm sorry, I went ahead. No, they were, that's right. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. I got three very small, short points to make today. The first one is Zacchaeus had a need. Verse 3, 5 through 8 reads like this. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, and I'm going to stop right there. Let me talk about the need that Zacchaeus had because Zacchaeus had a need to see Jesus. Now, I want you to pay attention to this verbiage. How many times have I told you, for those of you that have been here any amount of time, Pay attention to the small word. Pay attention to the comma. Read your Bible slowly so that you might actually understand it. Never read your Bible as a matter of habit or tradition. Get into it for the sake of knowing about God. That's the reason why I pray. Give us wisdom and revelation to know you better. That comes from the word of God. So we pay attention to the words and notice what the text doesn't say. The text doesn't say Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus. What does the text say? The text specifically says Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. Man, that was adds a whole new dimension to this sentence. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And that's everything. Everything. The word "was" adds a certain connotation to the phrase. It means that he wanted to know about Jesus. He'd say he wanted to see Jesus. He did, he wanted to know who Jesus was. How many of us truly want to see who Jesus is instead of just seeing Jesus? It, one of the things that's always frustrated me since we planted the church, I heard a guy say one time we were leaving Cornerstone. He goes, "Man, you need to go to G. You need to go to Lebanon. You need to make Jesus famous." And I said, like, "Jesus was famous before I got to Lebanon. Jesus was famous before I got to Cornerstone. Jesus was famous before the day I got born. Jesus has always been famous. I don't need to make Jesus famous. People that try to make Jesus famous just want to see Jesus." Maybe get his autograph or something, because that's what you do with famous people. What we need to do is make Jesus known so that we could show people who he is. That's what Zacchaeus wanted. Zacchaeus wanted to know who Jesus was. He was intimately desiring, desperately needing to see him so that he could see who he was. He had questions, I'm sure. Are the rumors that I'm hearing true? Because by this time he would have had a reputation. This is towards the end of his ministry. He's already healed a bunch of folks. It's a kind of an agrarian community, which is a, a farmer's community. And you know, if you know anything about small towns, you know word travels fast. So he Jesus had a reputation. He wanted to know: is that reputation true? Is, because of that reputation, is he the Messiah that people are saying that he is? And what can he do for me? These are questions we should be asking each other. Amen? Asking ourselves. Do I want to know who Jesus is or do I just want to see Jesus? Because when you show up to church and don't serve, you just want to see Jesus. When you go to church, when you, when you get saved and you don't commit yourself fully to the work of the Lord, that is fellowship, reading the Bible and praying... What you're saying is, I just want to see Jesus. I don't want to know who Jesus is. There's a big responsibility in the is. Amen? Amen. And it's time we take responsibility for it. And so he had this need. He recognized this need in himself. I'm not even sure he knew why he had this need, except that probably, likely, as with all of us, the Holy Spirit provoked him to this need. But here we go. You can't have a need that matters and not take action. You guys ever had an overwhelming need and then just sat and thought, eh, I'm not going to worry about that. A desperate need, and I think, "Huh, eh, I'm not going to take action against that. No, if it's a bad enough need, if it's a big enough need, if it's significant enough, you're going to chase after that need until you acquire that thing which you need. And so this is what we read, that his need provoked his action. It says, he was unable to see because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. He had heard rumor, Jesus is coming. I need to get to where my need can be met. And so he ran. There's two things I want you to pay attention to here. He ran ahead of the crowd, which means he ran through the crowd to get in front of them to climb a tree. He set aside his dignity to run. It was unacceptable for an older Jewish man to run at that time. And if he was a chief tax collector, you can just about bet he was an older man. And so he was given up his position, his authority, his, his stature by running because Jesus was more important than who he thought he was. And he gave up his safety because he ran through this crowd to get to that tree so he could see Jesus. These people that hated him, they had reason to hate him. He was the chief tax collector. Do you know what that means? You know, Matthew was a tax collector. This cat's the chief tax collector. That means he's the guy that Matthew reported to. So all the money that Matthew collected would have been sent to the chief tax collector, not necessarily this one, but you I'm just paralleling the two the chief tax collector, and then the chief tax collector gave their money, the Jewish people's money, to the oppressive Roman government. And as you can tell, as we've been able to see through the news and the politics of the day, if there's ever been an opportunity to skim off the top and to take more than you deserve, it's at the top. Amen. And so there's no telling how much money he stole from them. They had to have hated that guy. And he pushed his way through them anyway. And I'm here to tell you, sometimes you have to give up your own position and your own safety to find Jesus, to see Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus. Are you willing? Are you willing to be undignified? If it means at the end of your Undignified position or state, you can be with Jesus. Are you willing to sacrifice your safety if, at the end of that, you're willing, you're in relationship with Jesus? We should be. The answer to those questions, both, should be absolutely and yes. Amen. Everybody, okay with me so far? I feel like I'm pretty yelly today, but I'm just trying to make a very good point, or what I believe to be a very good point. We need Jesus. <laughs> And he climbed this sycamore tree. Hmm. Climb this sycamore tree. Pastor Rick told me a long time ago, Jim, you can't make, make the word say what the word doesn't say. And he's right. And so I realized that I'm, probably about to hyper-spiritualize the text. But there's a spiritual principle that causes me to want to do it. That sycamore tree put him in a position to see Jesus. We need to be the tree that other people can climb so they can see too. God planted that tree Years and years and years and years and years before Zacchaeus needed it. God has prepared you to be the tree you're supposed to be so other people can climb you and see Jesus long before that person needs it. Why do I tell you all the time, make margin in your calendar? Because sometimes you need to be the tree so others can see. Our responsibility is to tell others about Jesus. This is our number one responsibility. This is the reason I'm convinced we're still here. If you're saved, it's the reason you're still here. Because heaven is a better future for you. Did you know that? So as I've said a thousand times, probably say a thousand times again, if The only thing God ever had for you was your own salvation. If that was as good as it was ever going to get on earth, he would have killed you when he saved you. But that's not why he left you here. He left you here to tell other people so that all may come to a knowing understanding of who Jesus is. Sometimes we have to be the tree because how will they know unless someone tells them? And that's tough sometimes. We have to give up our position. We have to potentially put ourselves in a position to, to, that our safety is compromised. But that's okay. As long as they move from, I want to see Jesus to I need to know who Jesus is, then we've completed our mission. Amen? Amen. All right. Number two, because he had a need, he had a conversation. 5b through 8 reads like this. Zacchaeus, this is Jesus. Hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Look at Jesus. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Let's talk about this conversation. First off, let me talk about who who initiated this conversation. Was it Zacchaeus? It was Jesus. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, initiates every salvation redemptive conversation. Jesus instigated this conversation, and there's two things in this first verse that we need to pay attention to, or there's probably more than that, but there's the two that I'm going to pay attention to. It says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Why did he call him Zacchaeus? Did Zacchaeus write him a letter and then put a picture of himself in it and say, hey, I'm going to meet you in Jericho. I'll be in this sycamore tree wearing this brown tunic with this purple tie. You'll, you'll know me when you see me. Did he do that? No. How did he know to call him Zacchaeus? Because God knows everyone. Because he knows you. Listen, this should be a comfort to you. Because he knows you. Diane, he might as well say Diane. He might as well say Danny. He might as well say Gertrude. He might as well say anybody in this room and everybody on this planet. Because if he's ever created it, he knows exactly where it is. And if he's ever created a person, he knows exactly what their name is. And so he says, I'm here for you. Today, I must stay at your house. That's the second thing that messes me up in this text, or it did for a long time. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus doesn't have to do anything, but he says, tonight, I must, must stay at your house. Rick and why he said that? I'll make it very simple for you. He said that because Zacchaeus was his mission. Too many times we think the people around us are our problem not our priority, but the people around us are our priority. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they act like. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter any of those things. If God has placed them in our path to tell them the gospel and provokes us to do it, they are our mission. We must stay with them. So why did Jesus say it? Because it's his mission to say it. What is his mission? His mission is proven in John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He had to because he had to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that all men come to know who he is. That's why he must That's why we must. Did y'all know, if this Bible doesn't apply to you, there's no sense in reading. It It applies to you. There's an application. There's challenge to you in this text. Be the tree. Make the stop. Remember their name. Love people like Jesus loved people. And in his response, in Zacchaeus' response, he proved that his heart had been restored. Listen to this. This blows my mind. Jesus didn't have some great big theological debate with Zacchaeus. He just said, come down from here. I want to spend time with you. And Zacchaeus, is, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Did y'all catch that? Think there's a heart change? You think that boy's turned away from his old self and towards Jesus? Absolutely he has. Because not only is he willing to give back that which he took four times when the law required three times, so he was willing to even go above and beyond because that's who people, that's what people do who have tasted the grace of God. They give back and give back more than is expected of them. But he didn't just give back what he defrauded of others. It says he gave half of his things. There's an and in there. I will give half of my possessions away to the poor and... If I've defrauded anyone, I will give them back four times. So he gave away half of what rightfully belonged to him and well above the expectation for those who have defrauded. You know what I call that? I call that a restored heart. I guarantee he didn't climb that tree with that in his head. Just like in my own salvation story, I didn't plan on giving my life to Jesus when I climbed into the seventh tier at Cornerstone Church on the far right-hand side. I was there because my wife challenged me to go where she wouldn't date me. But you know what? When the Holy Spirit dealt with me, when I realized who Jesus was, not that I just had a desire to see Jesus, my whole life changed. And yours can too. But there will always be fruit from that declaration. And this is a statement of Zacchaeus's fruit. And I think it's beautiful. And then finally, Zacchaeus. Jesus declares the outcome. 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I could go on with this, but let me simplify it. Jesus, that day, sought, found, and saved Zacchaeus. You know why? Because Zacchaeus needed to be sought after, found, and saved. And so do we. Repentance isn't a salvation issue only. Repentance is a righteousness issue. Many of us, man, we do the best we can. We pursue God, we pray, we read our word, and then we still do this stupid thing called sin. We still fall flat on our face from time to time. I'm going to tell y'all something. going to mess some of y'all up. Not really, because you know me. I'm just a dude. I say things sometimes I shouldn't say. Have an attitude sometimes I shouldn't have. I have outbursts of anger that would be considered ungodly. But I'm chasing after God with everything that I have. The difference between me being a sinner condemned to hell and standing in righteousness is a heart restored through repentance. David said in Psalm 51 that I sinned before God. Did he he really sin before God? Like, was God his... Like, that's not who he primarily sinned against. Or he said, I, I, sin, I sinned against God. That's not who he primarily sinned against If from the physical. He murdered somebody. He committed adultery. He covered it up, lied about it, stole. All the things that we think, man, those are the top five or ten. And yet he was the man after God's own heart before and was a man after God's own heart after How is that possible? Repentance. This is the promise that if we ask God to forgive us, He's faithful to forgive us and restore us back to righteousness. And so I'm not just talking to the person that doesn't know Jesus at all, although I am talking to you. I'm talking to everybody in this room who's ever given their life to the Lord and then fell on their face. And now because of the shame you feel, you don't feel as though you have a right to come back to Jesus. Jesus died to give you the right to come back to him as many times as you need to. He didn't die to waste his own life. You are one simple prayer, simple but serious prayer, intentional prayer, away from righteousness. The only thing you have to do is declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. You shall be saved with a repentant heart. You know, the Bible says godly sorrow leads to what? But worldly sorrow leads to what? Destruction. So what what does that tell you? I'll tell you what it tells me. Saying sorry ain't enough. Saying sorry just says, oh, I'm sorry about that without any change. And it will lead to destruction. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And that repentance will save you. Amen? If there's anybody in this room who has, or not who has, who needs to repent for something that they've done, who needs to wipe the slate clean? Because when we do that, God says He's faithful to forget. Today's the day. You don't be ashamed of it, you be grateful for it. You offer thanksgiving for it because He didn't have to. You're not going to be judged because you're our family and we celebrate you. Amen? So if there's anybody in this room, and I know it's a challenge, but let it be a challenge to you because sometimes a challenge seals us. I want you to stand up and come up here just so I can pray for you or pray with you. I can't pray for you, but so I can pray with you. If there's anybody that needs to come forward, would you please come forward so I can pray for you?